morning, everyone. It is really cool to see each and every one of you. Hopefully, you're going to be sticking around for the picnic and uh, join us in the park. Um, we are concluding our series called Summer at the Lake today. And uh, before we start with it, though, I want to just introduce the next series we're going into, and it's going to be called What If? And this series is going to be a three-week-long talk series, and it's based upon Micah 6, 8, the backside of uh, verse 8. And, and that verse, the second half of that verse in, in, in Micah chapter 6, uh, says this, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so this next series, you know, I hope, I, well, let me say this. I hope that you guys can piece this together. We're talking about following Christ. We're talking about uh, responding to the, to the call of Jesus Christ on our lives that says, you know, follow me. I will make you fishers of men and what that looks like. And, and within this, you know, within this whole series we talked about, uh, the very first one was the difference between being a Christian and a Christ follower. And some of you may have thought, well, okay, now we're splitting hairs. And, and I, hope that, I hope you, after you heard it, that you uh, came on the backside saying, okay, I see the difference. And so uh, it wasn't just a a matter of splitting hairs, but there was an issue of delineating between being a Christian and a Christ follower. You know, a Christ follower is someone who is is doing just that. They're actively following. They're not just sitting back and, and, um, and, and, you know, kind of just waiting for Jesus to return or uh, death to take them for, you know, to eternity. But it's, um, but it's someone who is, who is responding to the challenge of Jesus Christ. And so with that, you know, the next logical series would be, what if, what if we followed him? What if we became like uh, this minor prophet Micah talked about people who, who, um, who acted justly and loved mercy and humbly followed uh, with, who humbly followed, uh, walked humbly with their God. And so uh, I'm very excited about that series coming up. So I hope and pray that you will, uh, w- will be too and just come and, and begin to check, th- or check that out with us as we, as we discover what uh, the words of Micah had to say through that, uh, through, or what God had to say through the prophet um, uh, Micah. Uh, again, we're finishing this series called Summer at the Lake, and today, and it's very appropriate today we're going to talk about a huge picnic because we're going to have a picnic uh, after this service, and so um, if I, you can keep me short and uh, not long-winded, we will be enjoying some food quickly, but that's not going to happen, so okay? So just kind of throw that out there to you. Hey, as we're talking about picnics, if you're following along with me, okay, in your notes, taking notes there, uh, you need to grab a pencil because I'm going to give you two fun facts that are going to impress your friends this week, okay? And I'm telling you, they'll blow your friends out of the water. And it has to do with picnics, all right? Uh, the world's largest picnic uh, was set a couple Augusts ago in New York City where if, we, if we're, if we're going we're gonna to take a look at what, what the biggest picnic was, what the largest picnic was, okay? And uh, if we're basing it on people, the world's largest was uh, a couple of Augusts ago in New York City where 1,389 people gathered together picnic to raise money for three local charities. That's a pretty big picnic, isn't it? Huh? Impressed, aren't you? If that one didn't impress you, listen to this one. Um, If you're not measuring it by people, which some of you, that's why you're not impressed, because it's like people. How about food? Got it. How many of you are from Fancy Farm, Kentucky? Anybody? We had a Cadillac to give away, so apparently no one's going to get that. How many have heard of Fancy Farm, Kentucky? And still no Cadillac. Okay. Anyhow, in Fancy Farm, Kentucky, back in 2000, they had this picnic and barbecue. Well, they have a picnic and barbecue every single year. But in the year of 2000, they grilled up a record of 18,000 pounds of meat. Oh, come on. That's impressive. Like, oh, okay, well, I've been to one of those. I've been to a picnic of 1,500, so the first one wasn't that good. And we just grilled up... uh, 
25,000 pounds of meat. Which, by the way, uh, Jeff Van Buren will be supplying 20,000 pounds of elk today at the picnic. Steaks. So if you uh, let us know, write on your comment card how you like your steaks and give it to him. And he will be... He will be uh, doing that up. But anyhow, we're talking about picnics, which some of you are ready to move on and are bored with that. So let's move on to another picnic. This picnic is found in Matthew chapter 14. And this is the one where Jesus feeds the 5,000, which is what our Bibles tell us. A a little subheading there, if you have one of those. And in Matthew chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 15... He says, or 13, he sa- the, the word reads this. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, and if you read just prior to that, it's talking about John the Baptist being beheaded by Herod. Um, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, just real quick, this definitely supersedes the largest picnic we just read about because this picnic counted 5,000 Men alone, okay? It says men alone, besides women and children. Now, let's say you add in, let's say you add in women. Let's say all the men were married, just for giggle's sake and make math pretty easy here. Let's say they were all married. Um, now you bump that up to 10,000. Let's say they had two, you know, two or three children. Now we're starting to look at a number of what? 13, 14, 15,000 people. And so, you know, give or take 10 to 15,000 people, Jesus miraculously feeds them. But here's the issue. I want us to take a look at this because I, guys, and I'm generalizing, I'm, I'm lumping you into this category. I think a lot of times what we do is I've said this before. We take scripture, we glamorize it. We read that and we're like, wow, that is really a cool miracle. He took two, he took, uh, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed like maybe 10,000 people. That's a really cool story. There's another nugget in here that I want us to take a look at uh, because I believe uh, this, this, there was something more to this than just being a miraculous story of where Jesus feeds this many people. At this picnic, um, I think that Jesus... Uh, had something else he wanted to teach as well. And if we kind of just look into this, I want to share with you a couple things. Because I believe one of the things he was trying to communicate to his disciples, because as we look at this story, his disciples were very much involved in this whole process, right? I think one of the things he was trying to show them is this. It's you, to teach his followers about meeting the needs of people. And so I think the disciples was part of this. He was teaching them that following him is always incomplete without a response to the here and now to some of the practical needs of the people in need. He wanted to make sure that his, his followers cared for people like he cared for people, okay? Uh, because apparently they had bought into some misconceptions that we're going to point out, three misconceptions, and, and what it means to be a Christ follower, all right? And I think we can, you and I can share in some of these same misconceptions or myths as, we, as, they, as they follow Christ and as we follow Christ. And so I want to point out, I just want to humor you by uh, three, three myths that I think we can take a look at. The first one is this uh, from our scriptures. If you've done the teaching part, you've done your part. Okay? 
If you've done the teaching part, you've done your part. The disciples had just come back. If we would read a few chapters ago, we read that he sent these 12 out to do some things. And he gave them uh, specific instruction of what to do. I think as they went around doing that, there was this incredible response to their teaching. I think there was this incredible response where people said, who is this Jesus that you're talking about? There was something engaging about as the disciples taught. And, and as they went, you know, as they came back, apparently uh, we see that, again, that their teaching was well-received and people are flocking to Jesus and the disciples, okay? People are coming to see. We read here that there was this huge crowd. Now, again, people, you know, Jesus had been, hurt, began to be, you know, his ministry, uh, people had started to hear it about. They started to hear about the miracles. They started to hear about the healing and things like that. So that would obviously draw a crowd. So here you have this group of people that, that, uh, uh, that's following along, that's flocking to Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about the teaching that Jesus did is that Jesus taught because he was moved with compassion. It tells us in the scripture that when he got out of the boat, when they, when they, when they landed and saw a large crowd, he what? He had compassion on them. And he began to heal their sick. He began to act, teach, his teaching was an act of care and compassion. Now, Put yourself in the disciples' shoes, okay? You're following with Jesus. You're walking along with him. You're, you're seeing some cool things happen. You're seeing some things that, are, that, are, that, that, that can't be explained away. But during this day, you're spending all day in Jesus' teaching, okay? And it becomes towards evening time, 5 or 6 o'clock, where we have dinner or supper or hot, whatever you label that, okay? It's time to eat. People are hungry. The disciples are hungry. Just like you, right now, you're hungry and you're hoping that in the next few minutes we're done, okay? But Jesus continued to And they were very receptive of his teaching, and they were very tuned into his teaching, a lot like you are to mine right now. Now, again, I get that Jesus' teaching was probably much more compelling than mine, but these guys were there all day. The disciples get to the point where it's like, hey, we're hungry. It's time, you know, it's getting late, man. It's getting, it's, Jesus is getting late. It's time, you need to send them away because, uh, you know, we need to wrap this up. We need to quit because it's time to eat. What does Jesus tell the disciples? You feed them. Now, place yourselves in their shoes. Again, it's so easy for us to glamorize scripture. We can say, oh, I've been awesome to walk with Jesus. But Jesus turns to you. You're saying, you know what, Jesus? You know, you've been teaching. It's time to eat, you know, and you're explaining why you need to, he needs to let him go. And he, say, that he says this, I want you to feed them. What are you talking about? Me? We can't feed them. We don't have the money to feed them. We don't have the resources. We don't, there's not, we're in a remote, we're in a remote town. We're in a remote area where there's not a lot of places to go and get food. You know, this is, this is crazy. This doesn't even make sense. And it's the same for us. A lot of times that's how we get. We believe that once we engage with people and give them the spiritual stuff, we're done. Okay. Hey, why don't you come to church? Why don't you come on over to church? Why don't you come to church and start learning our songs? Start learning how we dress. Start, which, by the way, I'm certain some of you may be offended by the way we're dressed today. But, you know, nevertheless, this is how we dress. But anyhow, you know, uh, you, you, you know, come and learn how we dress. Come learn about God and Jesus. Come sit through our classes. Come sit through this. Come sit through that. And you'll learn more about God and Jesus. You'll learn more about how to sing our songs and how to pray and do all those things. And so we can get caught up in that too. Are those things wrong? Absolutely, they're not wrong. They're not wrong to teach people some of these things. But here's the issue. Some of us fall in that trap that says this. By following Christ, our main job is to just help them to learn about God and Jesus. And once they learn about God and Jesus, once we've taught them some stuff, once they've sat through some of our classes, once they sit through some of this, that, and the other, this program, that program, then they'll know about Jesus and we're done with it. We don't have to do anything else. When we look at this particular story, we see that that is a myth, that that is a huge misconception. 
But Jesus, following after Jesus, is not only just teaching about, about Him, not only teaching uh, about the kingdom and heaven and all of that stuff, but it's also about meeting the needs and showing compassion to people. Jesus Himself painted a much different, bigger, vivid picture found in Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to read it from the message. By the way, uh, we did a talk on this not too long ago, but it's about the sheep and the goats. And it says this from the message uh, paraphrase. It says, When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will, will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep, in its, in, uh, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter, you, are, enter, you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? thirsty and give you drink? And when do we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats on his left and say, get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave, me, you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? And he will answer them. And I think this is one of the most, uh, one, of the, one of the disturbing passages in the gospel. Uh, next to a couple others, but one of them says this, I am telling the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to the eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. Now, real quick, tune in with me. He's not talking about a works-based salvation here, so let's not go down that easy path, okay? You're not off the hook. Listen. Jesus is not saying that anybody or everybody's eternal destination is determined about how much good you do to people in need. That's not the point whatsoever. The point is this, that what someone does and doesn't do for people in dire need is a reflection of their relationship with God the Father. Does that make sense? The response that you have towards individuals, the compassion that you have towards other people, that compassion that you're giving based upon this passage of Scripture is, is, is giving to, is, is, is doing, is being the person that God has called you to be. Being the person that God has destined you to be. So here's the issue. Jesus was saying how important caring for the needs of people are to him. He was saying that you can't separate loving God from loving people. And that's so easy for us to do at times. The more real the one is, the more important the other becomes. The more real you love God, the more intimate your relationship becomes with Him. The more deeper it goes, the more real your response and intimacy and love is going to go towards other people, and you're going to be able to see people the way Jesus sees people. Does that make sense? So the issue is here. If you don't see people with compassion, chances are you don't have a very compassionate relationship, intimate relationship with God. Now, those are startling words, aren't they? 
They're very startling. I'm not saying them. I believe that's what the Word of God is teaching us here this morning. Jesus was positively, absolutely driven by the desire to meet the needs of people and the followers. And his fol- he wants his followers to have that same desire that he has. So being a Christ follower means following him in his desire to meet the practical needs of the people. And that's myth number one, where we say, you know what? Just come, let us teach you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm not going to get involved in your life. I'm not going to get down the mud. I'm not going to get down the dirt. I'm not, I've got my own things going on. I've got my schedule. I've got my family. I've got my workload. I've got all this stuff going on over here. I don't have time to be invested in your life. But if you just come to church, we've got people hired, or we've got a couple other people that will help do that. So just come, and then when you do that, we're done, right? That's really nice and tidy. And Jesus is saying, no. That's a myth. You feed them. You feed them. You get involved. This isn't about just teaching them and then backing off. This is about being involved. The second myth is this. Jesus says to the fathers, you feed them. And they say this, basically. We can't. Oh, we can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? Well, we don't have what it takes. How many of us have said that? Jesus comes and stirs our soul. Jesus comes and, and, and talks to us. And, and instead of following after him, we come up with this conclusion that says, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? Because I don't have what it takes. How many of us in here have been guilty of saying this? Well, if I had more, I would give more. If I had more time, I would give more time. If I had more resources and money or whatever it may be, I would give more of that. That's a cop-out. That's an absolute cop-out. That's what the disciples said when Jesus said, you feed them. Well, we can't. We don't have the resources. But he asks them a simple question. What do you have? I love how Jesus operates. It's like there is no, it's like you cannot get off the hook. I don't have what it takes. Well, let's talk about what you do have. And here's the issue. Once they say, or once they say, he starts delineating this don't versus do thing. Once they say what they don't have, Jesus asks what they do have. And then Jesus took what they had and he used it to meet the needs that they thought were impossible to meet. And when we run up, we run up against whatever we feel is what we don't have to meet the needs of people around us and around the world, God says this. Don't focus on what you don't have. Don't tell me what you don't have. Let's talk about what you do have. Let's talk about what we can do together. Listen to this. You know, oftentimes we see these needs out in our world. We see these needs in our communities. We see these needs around us in our job places, wherever we go, in school, whatever it may be. And we look at it and we say, wow, that's just too big. I can't do that. I don't have what it takes to pull that off. Listen to a guy by the name of Roger Babbick, who his Christ following uh, takes on the form of responding to the real needs of people in the Ukraine, which was formerly the Soviet Union. Most people there, he discovered, only have one change of clothes and one uh, worn-out pair of shoes. So Roger Babbick just started, just started, rounding up clothes from people he knew and sending it over to them. And out of that grew a ministry called Master Provisions that now sends 48 massive shipping containers of clothes each year to the people in the Ukraine. He didn't have enough clothes to do it. He didn't have enough in his possession, his wardrobe to do it, but he realized that he, if, he just, if he just gave what he had, that something else may take place. And now what happens is, because of his willingness, God took something small and made something big. So many of us are cheated out of that type of ministry is because we never go into it saying, God, this is what I have. Why don't you take it? Why don't you bless it? And that's exactly what God did in this particular situation and what God is asking us for, from us today. The point is that when you take whatever you do, 
you have and you ask God to bless it and let God worry about how inadequate it might be to make a difference, that's when God shows up. That's when God is faithful. And God's wanting us to be faithful, consistently giving to him what we've got, no matter how small it is, and watch what he can do. Some of you are awesome at making excuses. Some of you have been fighting God for years of why you aren't going to do something, why you can't do something, where God's saying, just let me have what you've got and let me show you. You see, the world doesn't need more Christians that go through life really believing how important it is but of helping other individuals but never really doing anything about it. And let's face it, guys, we people in church, we are great talkers. We are awesome at talking. We will talk, 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 talk until Jesus returns, but never really get around to meeting the needs of the people. And here's the issue. The world couldn't care less about our pathetically limited uh, focus on our own resources. God is much bigger than that. God is bigger than any of our our, our, our limitations. And it doesn't matter what we've got. It's whether or not we will allow God to take it and bless it and use it for his glory, and to use it, use it to build his kingdom. Don't tell yourself you don't have what it takes. Tell yourself God can take whatever you have and do something incredibly more than you can imagine. That's how he works. That's what he loves. So that's the second myth that they bought into. And here's the third myth. And this one's going to wake you up because you're going you're to think I'm preaching heresy. The third one is this. This is a myth. It's a myth. It's a misconception that Jesus fed the 5,000. Whoa, wait a second. Now, my Bible, it says right there in the subheading, Jesus fed the 5,000. Okay, think about this for me. Think about this with me. Jesus feeds the 5,000. If you think about it, truth is, he didn't feed it, feed them. But he provided the resources for his disciples to do it. Now you're thinking, okay, now we're really splitting hairs here. Well, think about this for a second. Just think about it with me. Why did Jesus have the disciples to do it? Couldn't he have done it? He already took five loaves and two fish and was going to feed them. You're telling me that he didn't have the power to make a miracle happen to where he just told them to sit down on their picnic blankets or whatever they had there to just sit down and miraculously some food appeared before them? You're telling me he couldn't have just made them feel full? He had the power to do that, did he not? But what did he do? He chose to use his followers around him that said, We don't have the ability to make this happen. We can't make this happen. We don't have the resources to do this. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? Well, we've got these five loaves and two fish. And Jesus takes them. He raises them up to heaven. He asks the Father to bless them. He takes them. He has them to distribute them. And then ironically, they come back and they pick up how many basketfuls? How many? Twelve. Why twelve? Huh? can't hear you there you go something do you think it was a little object lesson think about where they came from they're sitting there they have all these 5,000 people sitting there they're hungry they don't know how they're going to be fed to being the ones the disciples to being the ones who actually deliver so much food that they have to collect it up in 12 baskets you see here's the issue guys It's not what God can do, but what God can do through them, what God can do through you. That's exactly where God wants his followers to be. As we follow Jesus, that's the exact position that he wants us, is the fact that we come and we say, you know, it's not what we can do, but it's what God is going to do through us. 
By the way, I want to clarify something, because I've heard the grapevine rattle here from the past couple weeks. I preached a message a couple, couple weeks ago talking about that Jesus will build his church. There's been little rumblings in the grapevine that says that I'm saying that God doesn't use people, that God does use people. Well, I want to clarify, and I want to be very clear on what I'm saying and what I said then. What I'm saying is this. God doesn't need us to build his church. And I believe that. And I will... If you don't agree with me and you need to talk with me about it, let's make an appointment talk. Because I'm tell, I believe, I believe with everything I have that if Jesus wants to build his church, he will build our church. And I believe, not just our church, but his church. Not just element, but the church, the bride of Christ. Jesus will do that. He chooses to use us in that process. But if you're telling me that if we say no, that that could actually stop him from building his church, I'll argue that until he returns. Jesus doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. He chooses to use us to accomplish something that we could never imagine take place. But to say, to honestly say, that if we say no, that the church won't get built? Wow, you got a lot of power. Now you're going to tell me that the kingdom's not going to come too, right? Which I read in Philippians that one day God's kingdom is going to take over this world as we know it, this fallen, wrecked, abandoned, broken world. That one day he's going to come, he's going to set up his throne. And you know what's going to happen? Every single knee, whether you believe in him or not, every single knee is going to bow down before him and confess that Jesus is Lord. You're telling me that you can stop that? You're telling me that man has the power to stop God's kingdom from coming? You're serving a very small God. And I'm not trying to browbeat, guys. I'm very passionate about this. God chooses to use us. It's incredible that God looks at me, a broken sinner that's been redeemed, and says, I want to use you, Gail. And I'm looking at him and saying, you're kidding me. What do I have to bring to the table? And he says, exactly. I want to do something through you. You don't bring anything to the table. I want, to sh- I want to do something in and through you. That's what he's saying to every single one of us in here. It's not about us coming to the table all pompous and saying, oh, look at my intellect. Look what I can do. Look at, what, look at my talents, God. Look how you can use me in your kingdom. That's not how God works. God takes the impossible and allows us to experience that into the impossible. We see the impossible take shape and happen, and we stand there dumbfounded, and we're like, wow, that was so cool. God showed up. You know, it's been said that the greatest heresy in the history of God's, of God's people is that being God's people means that we are... the means being special recipients of God's blessings. This guy goes on to say, but the truth is that being God's people means that we are special, we we become special dispensers of God's blessings to this world. That's why we have no clue of what God can do in and through us. I think of a person by the name of Matt Ness, who is CJ's friend, CJ Clymer, who is our campus pastor in Adrian. He has a friend at his old church, uh, at the church he came from, uh, his name's Matt Ness. Matt Ness started a ministry called Eyes That See. And what Eyes See does, it goes into, into uh, Ethiopia and they developed an orphanage. They saw this incredible need for, for, uh, to have an orphanage in Ethiopia. So they go into Ethiopia, they develop this orphanage. While they're there, they begin to discover that there's a lot of kids that can't go to school. And the main reason they can't go to school is because they don't have the clothes and they don't have the resources to go. 
And all they need is the clothes and the resources. So what do they do? They start a ministry. Eyes to see start a ministry with the orphanage too to reach out and to, and to help tutor and to provide resources for kids to go to school. Guys, do you know how much money it takes? Do you know how much American dollars it takes to send a kid in Ethiopia to school for a total year? Ten dollars. I find it very funny that when we gripe around about our economical situation, that God can take our money and use it and it has incredible incredible buying power to accomplish his purposes. They didn't stop there either. They saw that there's this, this, there's this, there's this prostitution that, that runs rampant there. And the reason why women get caught up in prostitution is simply for the fact they need to feed themselves and their kids. Otherwise, they can't. And to, to hear the stories that CJ went uh, just this spring, and he's been there before. In fact, they even adopted a girl, Calcadon, from there. But, but to, to hear the stories of where these prostitutes live in these, in these little shelters with their kids and with the sanitation and all that stuff, it is absolutely in, it, it, it's unfathomable. So you look at it and you say, well, it's impossible to do anything. Is it? So they go in and they have this ministry now where they take these women who are in prostitution and they begin to teach them a trade so that they can break out of prostitution and earn a living with another trade. Guys, women are doing it. Women are being baptized. They're coming to know Jesus Christ and they're learning a new trade in the process, breaking away from prostitution. But someone has compassion. They're allowing Jesus to move through them to accomplish something that they can never accomplish on their own. I think of another situation, another story that comes from adopting children here within the states. And it's been said by the U.S. social service system that for every one child that needs a home that nobody wants, some, a, 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 a child with special needs, uh, for every one child that needs a home, there are three churches. There are three churches to one child. Think about this. If just one out of the three churches would find a family to adopt a child, we wouldn't have any orphans in our country. And two more churches would be on the waiting list. Why don't we do that? Why are we not responding? Why are we not seeing people? Why are we not seeing people being moved by compassion? Here's the issue, guys, is this. God wants every single one of us to know that he's looking for each one of us to be participants in what he is doing in this world. God is working. God is moving. We'll sit around and say, oh, he's not. We'll sit and focus on the negative stuff. We'll sit and focus on the things that are going wrong. And we'll say, well, these are the reasons why God's not working. These are the reasons why this is happening and this is not happening. Guys, God's moving. God's working. It can be overwhelming and intimidating with all the brokenness and junk that we see on the world, in, the, in our world and around us. We may ask ourselves, what in the world could I ever do? And guys, here's the issue. If it's his dream or vision, however you want to word it, his impetus, well, however you want to word it, his dream is that people would be, not people, but his church, his bride, those of us that say we are following after him, it is his desire, it is his dream, it is his vision that we would become an unstoppable force in this world, not only teaching people about Jesus, but being in, li- in the living, breathing embodiment of the love of God in this world to this world. That's when you begin to look at problems, you say, what problem? That problem is not too big. And you begin to get excited because you know that God is drawing your attention to something. And you're going to respond. And you're going to see God move in a mighty and incredible way. Here's the question I want to leave you with is this. 
more or less this statement, not a question. I was hungry and you fed me. I wonder how many opportunities we miss out on on a daily basis because our eyes are not looking and our hearts aren't moved. And when Jesus is hungry, we're not feeding him. When he's thirsty, we're not giving him drink or clothes or a room to stay or visiting him when he's sick. You know, one of the things I wrestle with so much as a pastor is I want to see heart change. That's simply, that's what I want to see. I want to see heart change. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't care how many programs we're running. Some of you may have certain programs that you find an affinity for and you're, affinity for and you're saying, you know, I, we should do this because this will do blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying programs are wrong, but I want to tell you something. Programs aren't going to change hearts. They can help in the process, but they're not going to change hearts. Programs will not change your heart. What we sing on Sunday morning will not change your heart. How we dress on Sunday morning won't change your heart. However we do church won't change your heart. There's only one thing that will change your heart, and that is the power of God's Holy Spirit being allowed to enter into your heart and and you surrendering yourself to Him and saying, I will follow you unconditionally. That's what changes hearts. And it is my prayer that we become a church that are full of people that heard the call of Christ when we were out fishing, out doing our thing, out doing the thing that identifies us. And we heard the call of Christ saying, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And just like those first two guys did, we take our nets, we throw them to the side, and we begin to follow hard after Jesus Christ. One of the hardest passages that I wrestled with for so long, and I still wrestle in the in, in what it means and the application part of it, is that passage of scripture uh, found in Psalms, and it's also restated in the in the Gospels. But there's a passage of scripture that says that God will give us the desires of our hearts. And when I read that, I thought about it, and I thought, man, there are times when my heart's desire is not God; it's not pure. And I, I wrestled with that. But I begin to realize, you know, maybe you've already, I know you've already probably grabbed this, but again, this is, this is the application part. This is the spiritual maturity part. It happens when I allow the power, when I allow God's Spirit to come into my life, when God's Spirit comes and He's there and He's saying, Gail, there are things that need to be eradicated out of your life. There are things that need to be removed. There are desires, there are things, there are wishes, there are, there are things that are focused nothing but on yourself and you need to get rid of them. I want to get rid of these. Now I can either do one of two things. I can say, you know what, that's too hard. That's too hard. God, I can't let that happen. That's too hard. Or I can say, Jesus, bring it. And what happens is, the Holy Spirit takes over our hearts And he literally begins to shove our desires out. And he brings God's desires in. And when God gives us the desires of our hearts, he gives us what he wants already. Isn't that incredible? So where are you at this morning? Are you fighting the Spirit? Have you been fighting the Spirit for years where you're saying, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. I can't surrender myself like that. I can't surrender my total being over to you. Are you sitting in here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I've done that and I am excited. I am, I, man, let me, t- let, me share, let me share with you some things that God has brought into my mind. 
about some ministry opportunities, about how to reach people with his love and meet some needs. I don't know where you're at. Maybe this is the day you quit following or you quit, um, you quit struggling with that. You quit quenching him and you begin to follow hard after Jesus Christ. If, if you would like to take a minute and pray with us uh, after the service or come up while we sing this last song, we're going to close out with a song, I Will Follow. That is the theme song of this Summer at the Lake series. I will follow. I will cast my net to the side. I will follow hard after you. Maybe you want to come and pray. I would invite you forward. Uh, Jeff will be sticking around. Uh, some of the other elders in here, if you would stick around too, uh, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe this is the day you just you begin to follow Jesus. Truly follow Jesus and have a heart change and start that incredible, exciting journey with him. I was hungry and you fed me.